This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact handy carrying case and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade the other handle has the saw that comes with it so i use the saw to split the pelvis and i use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out right so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Today we have another awesome information-filled podcast. We're going to be talking with snow goose hunter Jake Mittag, and Jake is going to walk us through something that I absolutely know nothing about, and that's waterfowl hunting. Um, I know that the water, uh, the snow goose season has opened here in Iowa, and it's about to get good. Uh, he says sometime about the first to mid part of February and even into early or later into the month. So um, if it's if waterfowl hunting is something you want to try, it sounds like you should try snow goose hunting from the uh, from the conversation that we had. It can be really fun. Uh, there's lots of targets available with literally millions of geese flying through Iowa every single year during the the migration so jake kind of fills us in on all of the uh, information the strategy the tactics the the rules the regulations that are, are involved in this type of hunt so stick around i'm sure you're gonna enjoy it thanks for listening now let's get into the episode all right on the phone with me today mr jake mittag jake what's going on man Hey Dan, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. I uh, uh, this snow is bananas here in Iowa this year, and we're sounds like uh, I don't know about where where you live, but we're forecasted for another four to seven inches here in eastern Iowa. Yeah, no, we've uh, um, here in uh, you know we're in southeast Iowa, a little bit closer to the south central portion, but uh, we've been having snow dumped on us here too, and uh, it actually uh, it looks like it's rain coming up for us here in the coming days yeah yeah um now your summer what was your summer like did, did you guys fall victim to the drought conditions or was that kind of west of you guys yet yeah no we uh we experienced some of that here too especially in the late summer mm-hmm. yeah i tell you um it always it like when i go to check my trail cameras and i can see the corn stalks curling in on themselves you know it's bad oh yeah yeah definitely yeah so uh why don't you tell us what part of the state you live in and what do you do for a living sure yeah so i live in uh near oskaloosa iowa um and uh what i do is uh you know i'm in the the ag business sector i I work for a uh a seed business um you know specifically for corn and, and soybeans and uh 
actually a, a transplant to Iowa. Uh, lived here for about three years. Uh, prior to that, was living in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Oh, Alabama. Funny, because I yep. I was I, I lived in Iowa my whole life, but for a while there, I used to live on the north side of Alabama in a small town called Huntsville. Uh, excuse me, Hartzell, and I worked in Decatur. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're uh, Montgomery. That's south of Birmingham yet? Yeah, it's about an hour and a half south of Birmingham. Okay. All right. Cool, man. Well, welcome to Iowa, my friend. Yeah. So, We've been enjoying living here. Yeah, uh, especially the, probably the deer hunting. Did you deer hunt down in oh. Alabama too? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I didn't get to get out as much as I wanted to, uh, but – you know, there certainly is a big difference between the, the deer up here in Iowa uh, versus what we had in Alabama. Yeah. So um, have you had the opportunity yet to experience a true Iowa rut, like with, you know, deer that you've probably never seen before running around like crazy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, I I hunted uh, fairly hard this uh, this last rut, um, you know, got a little bit picky and actually ended up eating my tags. But, uh, um, you know, I experienced the rut this year and last year and, uh, you know, look, already looking forward to the next one. Don't plan. Don't plan on moving back to Alabama. Oh, absolutely not. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually so I'm from Northwest Missouri, so oh, okay. I'm somewhat familiar with this country already. I got gotcha. you. Um, so I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. All right. So today's topic uh, of discussion is snow geese. Now, I'll, I'll I'll be honest with you. I am not in any way, shape, or form a waterfowl hunter. I think I've gone maybe three times. And uh, one of the times it was raining, it was raining the whole time. So all we did was uh, like cook in the, uh, one of the guys brought like a little uh, stove and we just mm-hmm. drank, drank like black velvet and ate eggs and bacon all day. So <laughs> it was like, it really right. wasn't a waterfowl hunt at all. But mm-hmm. um, I could see how it w- it would be fun. Now, my I guess my first question for you is how, you know, are snow geese, do they fall in line when it comes to the migration, like, uh, I guess, teal and Canadian geese or mallards? So uh, it's a little bit different, and, and the way that they mig- migrate is quite a bit different. Um, you know, so you reference teal and, you know, uh, as far as waterfowl goes, you know, teal are often your, uh, your first migrators, uh, heading south, uh, in the fall, you know, early September, uh, typically. And, uh, you know, your, your big ducks, uh, typically, typically going to start migrating in, um, through Iowa in October. Um, and, you know, at some point in October, you might start to also see some of your migrator, uh, Canada geese, uh, snow geese, speckle bellies. Um, but what makes the snow geese stand apart is, um, they're, they're colony birds. They, they fly and uh, they live and, and fly and, and move in big colonies. And it's, uh, it's not out of the norm to see a, a flock of snow geese that's, you know, numbering in a thousand, a yeah. single flock. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, they, they, they winter and, uh, in the South. Um, and I guess what I should do is actually backtrack. So they're actually, um, they, they nest and uh, breed up in the uh, Arctic tundra, um, you know, around the Hudson Bay and in various parts of, you know, Northwest Territories and even um, northeast of there. Um, and they, um, after that, that uh, breeding and hatching season, uh, when they start to migrate south, 
um, they're eventually going to ha- end up somewhere. Um, typically, in, in our flyway, they're going down to the Gulf Coast or somewhere, um, you know, they might stop in, in eastern Arkansas or Louisiana or somewhere like that. Um, so that's, that's where they typically go to winter. And there's not quite as much uh, hunting competition for snow geese in the fall. Um, but it's that spring, that reverse migration. And I say spring, it's not actually, you know, spring yet, right? But um, it's that migration when they're going back north that uh, brings out the snow goose hunters. Okay. And what what dates or time or time of year is that roughly? What month? So in Iowa, uh, officially, uh, the snow goose season started um, on January 26th. Okay. Um, at least the, what they call the light goose conservation order. Um, you can take snow goose, uh, snow geese, uh, during the other waterfowl seasons, um, but there are restrictions on how many snow geese you can take um, during that fall um, goose season. Okay. When this light goose conservation order starts that we're talking about right now, um, you know, it starts January 26th and goes until May 1st. Now, on both ends of those extremes, um, there's not a lot of traffic happening, right? There's not a lot moving into Iowa right now, and there's not a lot. They're going to be moving uh, come May 1st. Yeah. Uh, right here in Iowa, um, in, you know, in the southern part of the state, you might start to see them as, as early as, uh, you know, sometime in early February. Um, and, and, you know, depending on how the snow melt is, um, that kind of dictates it because uh, that, that front edge of, of geese that are moving north to, to go back to the Arctic tundra, um, they're, they're really pushing that snow line. They're kind of stopping at that snow line, snow line and they'll um, loaf and, and spend some time waiting for the snow to melt north of them, and then they'll continue moving. Gotcha. So, yeah, typically um, early to mid-February is when you might first start to see them, but then they'll be, you know, they'll be moving in mass uh, pretty consistently for the next several weeks after that. Yeah. I can remember uh, going shed hunting a couple times or, you know, the first first couple days of the spring, maybe late February, uh, mid-February, where it's warm enough to grill outside. And uh, I'm standing mm-hmm. over the grill and I can look up, you know, I'd say maybe 30 minutes before it's completely dark outside and they just come by and then they come by and then they come by. And it's, if it's like when you say thousands, you're not lying. I mean, just thousands of these big groups of snow geese. And uh, it's it's really cool to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a. Uh... So it's quite at, a spectacle to watch, and you know they—it's uh, almost surreal when you see how big some of those flocks are. Yeah. All right. So now is the time of year where snow geese hunters really start getting fired up. Then, right? I mean, they're just north—I guess just north of where I live. There's a field where a guy—it just looks, you know, the the decoys that he's using almost just look like white plastic bags on sticks. Right. But right. but he's got a whole field littered with him and uh, it seems to get the job done because he goes back to the same field every single year. Um, is there a a when it comes to Iowa, if you were to pick a date, is there a, a time frame or a date that uh, if you really wanted to see, uh, I guess, action, you should plan for this date or is it really dictated by the snowmelt? Yeah, it's uh, it's really dictated by the snowmelt and, you know, uh, gathering information and reports about the, the movement to the south of you. Um, it, it's not like, uh, 
like deer hunting the rut where, you know, someone might say November 9th is my ideal day. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's the, the best way to go about it, uh, that I've found, um, is, uh, we, we hunt on the West side of the state here in Iowa yep. and, uh, a really good indicator, uh, once, you know, it looks like the, um, snow melt is, is going okay. And that, you know, it's also going okay to the North of us. Um, a really good indicator for how many snow geese are coming is, uh, Lost Bluffs conservation area down in Mound City, which used to be known as Squaw Creek. Um, I think that's more commonly referred to as Squat Creek still. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, they do surveys weekly and, uh, and, you know, so they'll do a, a, an estimation of how many snow geese are on, um, that Lost Bluffs, uh, conservation area. And you'll, you'll start watching it in, in early February and you'll see these weeks where, you know, it's a, maybe a hundred thousand snow geese and then the next week it's a few hundred thousand more. And then bam, it's, a million snow geese, Dang. even, you know, 1.5 million snow geese that I've seen before on some of these surveys. And that's your indicator right there that those snow geese are coming. Yeah. Wow. That's bananas. Um, so when it comes to like this, uh, this snow geese, what's the take? How many, how many can you take in a day? Yeah. So during this, uh, this light goose conservation order, uh, this special snow goose season, um, there, there's no limit. Oh, so wow. absolutely no limit. It, it doesn't matter if you take 20 or if you take 200. Um, they, uh, they loosen up the restrictions on quite a, quite a few things during this light goose conservation order. Um, so uh, for one, you can uh, hunt with unplugged shotguns. So, you know, all shotguns have a plug in it that, you know, caps you at three shells that you're able to have, you know, two in the magazine, one in the chamber. Yep. And you can take that plug out and, you know, in Load most up. shotguns, you take that plug out. You might be able to fit five three and a half inch shells, right? Yeah. Um, you can uh, you can actually buy magazine uh, extensions or extension tubes that'll allow you to uh, load even more shells into your magazine. So I've got one of those, for example, and, and I can fit nine three and a half inch shotgun shells or uh, twelve gauge shells. Wow! So you're literally letting the lead fly uh, at these things as they start coming down. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, you are, and. Uh, and you mentioned lead, and it's actually a steel you do have shot. To use yeah. a non-toxic shot. Yeah. Um, you know, so steel shot, steel's the cheapest, but then there's also some uh, some heavy loads that are uh, made out of bismuth and tungsten. Yeah. Um, and then going back to some of those restrictions uh, that they ease up. Um, in addition to uh, the no limit and the unplugged shotguns, you can also use uh, electronic collars. Okay. And then. Uh, you can hunt uh, half an hour um, after sunset. Okay. Uh, most waterfowl seasons, uh, it ends at sunset, and for snow goose season, it's half an hour after. Okay. Are these loosened restrictions because of uh, like overpopulation of the animal? Yeah, exactly. So they uh, the the population for the last couple of decades, uh, the way I understand it, has been you know thriving and. Uh, the, the way that they feed is uh, they actually are, are kind of, they're grubbing while they're feeding and they're, so they're digging their bills beneath the vegetation and you know, turn the soil over. Well, the problem is, I mean, that, that's destructive to, of course, you know, um, some crop fields. Um, but the bigger concern is their, uh, their nesting grounds. They're breeding in nesting grounds up in the tundra. Uh, they're doing that. And 
plants don't grow so fast up in the tundra, right? So they're, they're ruining the, the, the ecosystem up there. And uh, it's having an impact not only on, you know, it's not only putting them at risk, but also other uh, animals that, that live up there. So uh, to counter that, um, a couple decades ago, uh, a lot of state conservation agencies started loosening up these uh, restrictions and having this light goose uh, conservation season. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's uh, that sounds fun. But okay, so backing up just a bit, I want to talk. I want to get a little bit more detail about this snow, because sometimes the state. I mean, even where where I live, uh, there can be snow on the ground all the way until like a couple weeks before April or like March. Sometimes can still have snow on the ground, and hell, it can even snow sometimes in April. Um, do the, do they ever just fly over it or do they just stack at that snow line until it melts? Um, so, so there'll be a little bit of both and, and it depends on, um, you know, how deep that snow is and, yeah. and is there open water, you know, is the water still frozen over? Um, because, you know, uh, they're still going to need to have a, a water source and, and they're still going to have to have a feed source, you know, so they can feed in a field if it has snow in it by, you know, as soon as they land, they'll uh, nestle down into the ground and kind of melt the snow underneath them. But they don't want to do that, right? So w- what they've done is uh, uh, in years past when we've been watching this and, you know, kind of watching the snow melt in the area that we'd like to hunt and uh, seeing what's going on, um, you know, these snow geese, um, they're not limited to just sticking to the same flyway. Um, so, you know, while there might be snow in eastern Iowa, that is still sitting on the ground in March, um, that may, may not be the case in, in central or western Iowa or Illinois or, you know. I got you. In, any direction you want to pick, right? Right. So it's not like a blanket statement, you know, like there could be less snow in western part of the state, so the migration may shift west uh, because there's less snow there. Exactly. Okay. Yep. All right, cool. All right. So as, um, you know, as this, uh, my migration happens, you're listening to the reports that are coming through, you know, the wire saying, Hey, there's this many, you know, snow geese here and, and you know, you play your cards right. And you gotta, you know, uh, be out there as that migration comes through is, is the strategy for hunting snow geese different than let's say any other type of waterfowl? Yeah. So, um, you know, going back to them being uh, colonial birds or, you know, birds that fly in these big colonies and, and these massive flocks. Um, typically, um, you know, to, to draw in the snow geese, uh, you're going to need a, a big spread, right? And uh, I remember you referenced earlier in this, uh, in this talk that uh, you see a guy, uh, you know, to the north of you that has a lot of uh, white bags out there, right? Right. Um, so, you know, that can get expensive getting the, the number of decoys required to do it. Um, it can, you can do it. Um, ideally, um, you're going to have anywhere from 500 to 1500 decoys. Um, that's not to say that you can't kill them with less, but generally, um, your chances for bringing in a large flock or a large group or just a consistent uh, flow of snow geese is to have that larger spread. And to do that, you know, that's obviously, a a pretty big financial commitment. So, uh, um, your, your friend or the guy to the North of you that, uh, 
has those rags out there. Um, those are something common to use. Uh, they're probably wind socks. Yeah. And so wind socks are a good way to kind of, they're a good filler for your spread. Um, they're lightweight and you know, you can spend anywhere from 40 to $80 to get a dozen. And when you have wind, they look really good. They have really good motion out in the field. Uh, when you don't have wind, they don't look so good. Yeah. And then the other end of the spectrum, you can get uh, full body snow goose decoys, which are, you know, just a hard plastic decoy that's uh, uh, either standing with the head looking upright or, or maybe looking straight out or feeding, uh, pointed down like it's feeding. And so, you know, there's a, you can mix and match and, and do whatever you want with those, but, but generally you're going to want, um, you know, at least 500 of those decoys. Yeah. 500, man, that is a lot. That's why every, uh, um, serious goose hunter I, I know has a trailer parked in their driveway, you know, for the entire, right. for the entire year, or it's in a, in a storage container or whatever. But, uh, man, that's all, that seems like a lot. Yeah, man. So let me ask you this, um, conditions, you know, it, like wind or temperature, or, uh, does any of that play in into the into the strategy or is it just hey man it's a dumb bird set up and they'll come in yeah yeah it uh it does play a factor um so um you know on extremely windy days um you know the birds don't tend to get up as much you know and i'm talking like you know 35 miles per hour or faster um right you know there might not be a lot going on they're just going to kind of hunker down um and then on the other end of the spectrum um if there's no wind out um, yes, there'll be birds, you know, getting up in the air, um, but, you know, your spread's going to look uh, pretty still and and lifeless, right? So, right. Um, you know, ideally, you do have, have a little bit of wind, you know, 15 to 15 mile an hour wind would be nice. Um, and, uh, you know, temperature wise, um, you know, that's, there's not too much of an impact there, although um, you don't want it to be too warm, you know, because I've hunted some um, you know, sometimes in March, whenever it's been relatively warm and, and they didn't seem to want to get down into the fields as much, and, you know, so you want it to be, you know, somewhere between 25 and, and 45 degrees probably. Okay. Um, is there a wind direction that works best? Like if they're coming up from the South, would it, is it better to have a South wind or, or North wind? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. So, you know, uh, when, when they do have that South wind, um, you know, as long as it's not too strong or, you know, too gusty, um, that's going to be an ideal wind for them when they're, uh, doing their right reverse migration back North. So, uh, there's a good chance that there's going to be some movement. Um, as long as, you know, the uh, conditions in your area are good as far as uh, snow melt and everything. Um, so yeah, a good South wind is good. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, they won't get up and move with the north wind, but um, certainly a, a south wind, they're, they're a little bit more motivated to move. Okay. All right. What about, um, uh, like, the layout of your decoys? Is it just one big, giant pile of them? Uh, is there a strategy that goes into a, a specific shape or uh, a funnel system that uh, allows the, the geese to get closer to close enough to shoot yeah so there's uh you know there's uh probably a, a dozen right ways to do it and uh plenty more you know that are the wrong way to do it so yeah 
um, you know, it's, it's, it can be a, a form of debate among a, a lot of waterfowlers or a lot of snow geese hunters. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we've tried a few different methods, and uh, some of the popular ones are to have, um, first of all, um, you want to more than likely you want to identify where your kill hole is going to be or, your, you know, it's going to be an empty area in your spread that you're going to want to funnel those snow geese to come to. Yeah. That's where you're going to want them to uh, try to land. Um, so you're going to um, set up your blinds, um, which, you know, as far as blinds go, um, you know, most common thing in field hunting is going to be to have a, a layout blind or a coffin blind. Um, so you have your layout blind and you have the wind behind your back because snow geese, just like uh, most other wa- waterfowl, um, they, they want to land into the wind. Um, so you, you identify, um, you know, the wind direction and, uh, where you want to put your, uh, your landing zone at, and then you can still do one of several different things with your decoy spread. Um, some guys do, um, something called the the blob where they just kind of put them all out there in a big blob and, uh, there's not really any rhyme or reason to it. Um, there's other guys that, uh, I've seen that I've done, and we've tried this before as well, is doing like a, uh, a donut type thing so that um, you can move your blind around based off of the wind. Okay. You know, so if the wind, if you start out with a south wind and then all of a sudden it's shifted over to a west wind, you can pick up your your uh, uh, coffin blinds and, and move to the left, right? Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's uh, some, some guys like to make a sort of like a, an X with their decoys, um, or a, a U or a, a J hook. Um, really, I think the biggest, uh, and, and most important thing is that you don't get too uniform with it. Right. So if you're trying to make a, a letter, the alphabet or whatever it is you're trying to do, you're, you're not trying to make it look perfect. Right. So, gotcha. and you know, really the best thing to do is, uh, get out and, uh, and scout and, and see if you can find a field of snow geese and see what they look like in that field and then try to, mimic that with your spread gotcha so if you if you do do some scouting and you know obviously a migration a migration doesn't necessarily mean that the snow geese are going to be in that same exact spot the next day um is it going to be worth going back to the same location the next day or in a couple days and setting up it can be um so if you do set up in the same spot um, you know, for consecutive days, um, you do run the risk of, um, you might be in this stretch where, um, there's no new snow geese in the area. And what you have are some temporary residents that are kind of just, uh, spending a few days there. Um, maybe there's a, a, a large refuge, waterfowl refuge, or, you know, small lake or some source that, um, they're going to to roost at at night. Yep. And then they're just in this pattern where they're going out to feed in the mornings. And, uh, you know, returning back to that same roost, uh, later on that day. Okay. Um, so those geese, um, you know, they, they get educated pretty quickly on the area. So if you've got, um, multiple hunters out there, um, they've seen the same thing day in and day out for the last X number of days. Right. Right. Um, now if you, if you don't have the, the resources, the, the permission or the ability to, to move, uh, fields, um, then, you know, you can still uh, scratch out some geese, you know, in the consecutive days. And, and what you're hoping for is, uh, some sort of weather shift or push that would dictate more geese, um, from the South moving up 
you know, while the geese in your area uh, go on and move north and you get fresh birds in from the south. Gotcha. So when it comes to, you know, putting yourself in the right position, um, how effective is calling? And can a guy like me who has absolutely no experience calling pick up a, a snow goose call and call in a flock? Yeah, so um, during this uh, um, light goose conservation order, um, they, they allow um, electronic callers or e-callers, right? So you can use the, the same type of, type of electronic callers that, you know, like the Fox Pro type uh, predator calls that you might have seen. Um, you know, so you can, uh, you can set up electronic calls um, just like you would do for predator hunting, um, only you've downloaded and are using uh, snow goose sounds. And so um, that's the way to do it. I mean, uh, there are guys out there, um, some guys that hunt with smaller spreads for snow geese that uh, might be using mouth calls. Um, but if, if you've got the ability to uh, get an e-collar, um, that's the way to go. And, yeah, any, anyone um, with, uh, you know, limited experience could uh, pick it up pretty quickly. The, the most important thing is, is, is really just volume control. So you can, uh, uh, you know, you talked earlier about you've seen these, you know, massive flocks moving. And when you get these flocks that big, you can see them from miles away, right? Right. So, you know, when you've got these flocks that you see on the horizon that are a ways away, you know, you can go ahead and crank up that, uh, that volume and hope you can get them turned and, and come in your direction. But um, once they get closer, you know, you want to start bringing that volume down and you don't want to just be, you know, screaming at them from the ground. And you also want to, you know, with those, you don't want to have an electronic or, you know, distorted type sound coming because they're, uh, they're pretty keen on that. Yeah. So almost it, the closer they get, maybe switch from the electric call to the, uh, you know, to the, I guess, the, the manual calls, the, the mouth calls. So if you have, ideally what you would do is, uh, you know, you've got a, you can control your, your e-collar remotely. And so, you know, you just, you turn the, the volume down on that and, you know, you, you want to get it to where, um, you know, it, you certainly don't want it to be louder than the geese that are overhead of you, right? right? So right. you just, uh, you turn it down and, uh, and then, uh, you know, snow geese are, uh, they're actually very smart and, uh, and they're actually very difficult to hunt. So, um, one, you know, course you got to have the big spread like we talked about to uh, to attract them and you know that takes quite a bit of work and effort to get that out there but um they're very wary so they uh they're good at, at not getting killed yeah they uh you can see them working over the top of you and you can and they'll circle you for what, what'll feel like you know 10 minutes uh, it's probably not that long in, in a lot of cases but they'll just circle you and sometimes they'll hit this deck this imaginary plateau above you where they might get to 50 yards above you yeah. and then just continue to circle at that 50 yard range for several passes and then move on. Yeah. So they, uh, the most important thing is, uh, that volume control. Uh, but also, um, you know, you've got to make sure that, you know, and, and this goes back to part of the setup, you know, when you're setting up your blinds, um, you want to make sure that they're brushed in really well. You know, if you're in a cornfield, then ideally, um, you're going to grab some corn stalks and some stuff, off the ground and, and, and brush that into your blind or, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, you know, natural cover is already in that area. Yeah. Um, and then you're staying hidden inside that blind, you know, you've got to, um, 
you've got all these little eyes looking at you and they, they can see, you know, outstanding. So you got to make sure that, you know, you're keeping your face hidden and, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're checking everything out. Okay. Right. So when it comes to, you know, calling and the setup and, um, you know, setting up based off of weather or the snowfall or all, all the stuff that we've kind of discussed, is there anything that guys should not do? Like that, it's just going to ruin a hunt if you do this. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, one thing that can ruin a hunt is, uh, um, well, there's several things, right? So if you do have that buddy that, uh, can't, uh, you know, contain his excitement and keep that face hidden, uh, inside, you know, even though you're inside of a blind, you still have the ability to kind of peek out. So, you know, that that'll flare birds and, and having shiny stuff around you, um, can do that, you know, so. Generally, generally, you want to do a good job of picking up your shotgun shells um, after you've, you know, fired a few rounds. Um, you know, if, if you're hunting with a dog, uh, keeping your dog under control and keeping it in, you know, his little blind that you might have for him. Or, uh, um, yeah, I think uh, those are the big things. Just making sure that that you and and if you're hunting with a dog, that you know everything is staying uh, concealed. Gotcha. So let's see here. Um, what about things you should do? now okay obviously there's a lot of different ways to make mistakes but uh things that you don't want to forget to do every single hunt so uh certainly um you want to make sure that uh you know if you're using e-collars then you're probably gonna be uh using using a lot of batteries um so you know if you're using 12 volt batteries or you know whatever size battery you're using you got to make sure that you know you're charging your batteries because you don't want to show up in the field without that yep um, you know, and also speaking of batteries and this kind of goes back to setup, but, um, there's a lot of, uh, motorized motion decoys that you can use nowadays. And, and, you know, those can kind of give you an edge in the field too. Um, so there's, a uh, one motion decoy, uh, you know, it's called like a, a vortex, uh, motion decoy where, um, it, it spins around in circles with four, um, four rods on it. And you could put, you know, four flyer snow geese, one on each rod. And it just spins in a circle, like, you know, four geese circling and landing. Um, you've got uh, some other motorized decoys that, you know, they're just, um, they're in a flying position on a stake. And then electronically, their their wings are flapping, right? Okay. So it looks like they're landing. And so those are, are things that you're going to want to stick um, right in that landing zone, um, somewhat close to probably where you're set up in your blinds. Okay. And so, you know, certainly you've got, a lot of different things that you might need batteries for. So, you know, batteries, shotgun shells, seen, seen guys forget shotgun shells in the field before. Um, those are, those are two things you can't do without. Yeah. So basically just, uh, keep, uh, keep your head on straight, right? Make sure you're not forgetting things at the truck. Be, be properly prepared, all that stuff. Sure. Yep. Yep. All right. So, we, we've talked about the really loose regulations. You know, you can shoot as many as you want. You can shoot a half hour past uh, um, or an, an, addi- an additional 30-minute shooting time. Uh, you know, there's all these uh, loose re- regulations. Is there anything that, uh, let's say, is a, a big-time no-no when it comes to regulations? Now, that can even be like, that can be waterfowl or snow goose-specific. Yeah. So one thing that um, you really have to be careful about is uh, 
you know, there, there are some other um, waterfowl that will be migrating in the area at the same time as snow geese. So, um, you know, most of the time, if, uh, if you're already a waterfowler, you can be able to identify, um, you know, ducks or, or Canada geese, right? Canada geese look quite a, quite a bit different. Um, but one of the trickiest things uh, with snow goose hunting is uh, it's not uncommon to have a speckle belly or, you know, they're, uh, they're officially known as uh, white-fronted geese. Um, they, they, they migrate with, uh, snow geese, uh, quite a bit. And so, you know, there's been times that, um, we've had snow geese working us and then all of a sudden you hear that familiar squawk that the, uh, speckle belly makes. And, uh, then you've really got to be on alert on what you're shooting at. Yeah. Um, or in some cases you might have to make the decision to not shoot at all. If it's getting to that point where, you know, it's that last half hour where it's starting to get dusk. Um, so um, that's probably one of the biggest things that you have to be careful of um, that, you know, could get you in trouble regulation-wise is uh, accidentally harvesting a, a, another goose, especially a speckle belly. Yeah. So uh, what happens in a scenario like that where, you know, the everybody's going in aiming for a, a snow goose and you accidentally shoot, because I'm sure it happens, uh, you accidentally shoot uh, something that's not a snow goose. Um, is there any... Uh, is there the proper steps to contact anybody or do you just have to tag it and, and let somebody know, or what's, what's the, the right path on a scenario like that? Yeah. So, um, I haven't been in that situation myself and, um, have not looked into specifically for snow geese, but I would have to assume that, uh, you know, the right thing to do is going to be to, you know, uh, contact the local conservation department to that area uh, because just as, uh, you know, um, during the waterfowl season, there are times that you'll hear about someone that, you know, shot a, a swan accidentally. Yeah. Um, or, you know, um, during a, a trapping season, you might accidentally, uh, you know, when it's beaver only, you might accidentally trap an otter. You weren't intending to do that, but you, but you trapped one. Yeah. Um, or you have an antlerless tag and it's uh, January 9th and, and shoot a, a buck that's already dropped him. Right. So um, I think that the best move at that point is probably going to be to go ahead and, and report what happened. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then after that, uh, any, anything else from a, you know, from, from, I guess maybe a suggestion for a guy who's tried it several years and uh, maybe he's just not getting the results that he wants, uh, whether that's advice for uh, a seasoned uh, waterfowl hunter or snow goose, goose hunter or someone who's a newbie um, any advice that is that what's the best advice that you can give for someone who's struggling yeah so I, I think the best advice that, that I could give is to to stick with it um, you know it's uh it, it's a challenge to hunt snow geese you know like I said these uh these birds are smart um, you know I think I've read before that the average age, age of a snow goose is like eight years old and oh, wow. they can live up to 20 years old. Um, so that, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of different decoy spreads they've seen over the course of their life. And they've probably been shot at multiple times throughout their life. So, um, these are smart birds. They're, uh, they're scared of their own shadow. You know, they, uh, they're very spooky. So, um, and, and it, it's not easy to hunt snow geese. So yeah, my advice would have to be to just uh, stick with it because, um, you're going to have your days where, um, you know, a bad day snow goose hunting by some standards is to, to get like a single digit count, 
you know, to get less than 10 snow geese. Um, but, and you're going to have those days and you maybe even get skunked. But if you, if you're able to ever get underneath one of these, uh, what they call a, a tornado yeah. of, of snow geese working over the top of you, you know, that can be a memorable, memorable experience. Like, uh, like you'll not experience in any other, anything else that you could hunt in North America anyways, Yeah. Uh, that I'm aware of. Yeah. So these snow geese, um, they, uh, if you're fortunate enough to get one of these flocks that has thousands and thousands of birds, um, and, and I've been fortunate enough to, to have this happen before, um, you know, you'll slowly start to get some geese that will break off and, and start circling you. And then, you know, more and more flocks will start to follow them circling. And, and that's why they call it tornado. Cause eventually you could have anywhere from hundreds to thousands of snow geese all of a sudden working above you at various heights, landing in your decoys. And you just sit there and you watch them continue to funnel down. And that's a, that, that's an experience unlike any other. So, you know, yeah. I, I would stick with it for uh, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there any other advice, tips, tactics, strategy that you'd like to share with us today? Um, well, so, so one other thing I'll, I'll comment on is, so, um, these snow geese, um, it, it sometimes is, is better to, uh, wait until later on in the season. Uh, even after you've seen some, some snow geese moving into your area, um, so the way that these, uh, snow geese, um, work is, uh, those geese that are pushing that snow line that are constantly moving North and then stopping to wait for the snow melt if they need to, you know, loafing in that area for a few days until they can move North again, or until they find another thread, to another angle to take. Yep. Um, you know, they're, they're motivated by this, uh, internal instinct to, they, they got to get back to, to that, that tundra area so that they can start their breeding and nesting season. Yeah. And so all of those geese that are at the front edge are all the adult snow geese. Um, they're the juvenile snow geese or, or juvies are the snow geese that were from that previous year's hatch. And they tend to uh, take their time moving north. They might spend a little bit more time in their wintering area before they actually start their migration north. And then, you know, they'll slowly start working their way up. And so you'll get these flocks of these juveniles and they just, uh, they, they act stupid for lack of a better term. They, uh, they decoy very easy compared to, compared to an adult snow goose, you know, cause they haven't seen that, uh, like an adult snow goose has. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, uh, although the, the sheer number of snow geese coming may not be as significant if you wait on those juveniles. Um, you might actually have more success by waiting for the, the juveniles to, to work their way into your area. Okay. Gotcha. So it's almost like pass on the juveniles if you can identify them and then right behind them should be some more mature geese. Yeah. Well, um, uh, so, um, you know, pass on, on the, the adults that are, that are pushing their way north first and then waiting for that wave of, uh, juveniles that come oh, behind oh okay okay the opposite okay I, i'm sorry i was confused there it um so the the juveniles are are from a from a hunting standpoint are a little bit more fun because they're dumber and <laughs> they're easier to yeah. call in i gotcha okay exactly yeah uh, all right yep so a guy a guy goes out and he slays some some snow geese uh 
do you have any recipes that you would recommend for, you know, for the table? Yeah. So, um, you know, most people are, are going to, uh, take the breast meat, you know, that's going to be the, the best part. Some people, uh, uh, do take the legs too, but, uh, for the most part, uh, guys are taking the breast and, uh, you know, there's, a uh, my best advice on that is just to get creative. You know, uh, my wife has done that. She's uh, come up with some pretty good dishes, just, you know, playing with things that you might not necessarily think about, you know, so you can, you can, uh, grind up snow geese meat and, uh, make snow goose tacos oh, or just nice. cut it in strips and, and have snow goose fajitas. Right. Right. Um, you can, uh, you can grind it up. And, and make jerky, you know, goose jerky is good. Uh, goose pastrami, goose brats. Um, my, my advice is, uh, to just get creative with it. And, you know, there's kind of a, sometimes there's a negative connotation with snow goose meat, but, um, you know, me personally, um, I, I think it tastes good and it, it actually is better than Canada goose in my opinion. Okay. There's that. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always a fan for, uh, trying to eat or whatever it is that I, that I shoot. And I'm afraid just like anything else, like I'm a whitetail hunter, right? I'm a bow hunter. And I'm afraid that if I get into something like, uh, for example, fly fishing or snow goose hunting, because I have some other friends who snow goose hunt and I, I feel like it would just add one more thing to the year and just really upset my wife. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I could see that. Um, you know, for me personally, so, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, try to be as much of an outdoorsman as I can and, and get out and hunt as much as I can. So for me, it's just an opportunity to, uh, have this, ha- have something to hunt in between, you know, when late season can the goose ends, which ends typically in, in mid January. Yeah. And, and between that and when Turkey season is going to start in April. Right. So, um, it's kind of a fun little filler in between, and, uh, you know, there are guys that go out there and, and they're snow goose hunting, um, you know, every weekend or maybe even able to hunt during the day, during the week. Uh, most typically, there's going to be guys that actually live in, in those, you know, dense flyways. Um, but, you know, for me, it's just uh, something that I can get together with. Uh, I've got some family that I, that I get together with to, to snow goose hunt, and we can uh, meet up and, and hunt for a few days, and, you know, it's always a good time. Yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chat with us and school us on the way of the snow goose. So uh, thank you very much for your time and thanks for your information. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dan. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Jake for taking time out of his day to hop on and chat with us about snow goose hunting. Um, If you are not following the Iowa Sportsman Facebook page, please do so. And we also now have the Iowa Sportsman Instagram page. So a lot of information coming through our social channels. And don't forget to check out iowasportsman.com. There you can find ways to subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman magazine. There's a lot of great articles on the uh, website as well. Tons of information out there. So uh, make sure you uh, go check those uh, places out. Other than that, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.